in the face of the right-wing Republican push for white male dominance and control. There's something new called Sister Resisters. I'm Bert Cohen, and with your help, we are keeping democracy alive. What's going on? He's not breathing. Can you get a pulse? Barely. Call a code. Get Nambia back from the nurse's station. Heart's still working, means synapses are still firing. We just need to get a message through. There's a huge gap between public opinion and public policy. People don't feel that they can do very much. I speak tonight for the dignity of man. In our established, formalized educational system, the role of non-regimented but exceptionally valuable, perhaps old-fashioned, processes like apprenticeship and mentoring have, to some degree, fallen by the wayside. Yet history has shown that without these more hands-on, personal guidance practices, young people can miss out on important life steps which can and do yield real positive trajectory. And not just in terms of future income prospects. There's a vacuum that may be filled by employing a more personal mentoring process. And it's certainly no secret that Young women of color are often underserved in comparison to white women, again, not just in terms of money. Today, we're going to talk about something called Sister Resisters, Mentoring Black Women on Campus. It is a mentorship model which emphasizes the acquisition of cultural knowledge, the power of intersectionality, and the critical role of resistance in the lives of black and white women as they navigate interpersonal and institutional biases and discrimination. While America can't make up for lost opportunities of the past, we can try to address them for a better future in a changing culture. Our guests today are Janie Victoria Ward and Tracy L. Robinson Wood, both experts in the developmental and identity challenges of young people of color. Thanks for being with us. Thank you so much, Bert. It's lovely to be here with you today. Well, we'll we'll learn about their ideas for a new approach to working with this historically underserved student group, young women of color. Janie Victoria Ward is Professor Emeritus of the Department of Education and Africana Studies at Simmons University. She's the co-editor of three books and the author of The Skin We're In, Teaching Our Teens to Be Emotionally Strong, Socially Smart, and spiritually connected. Damn, I could have used that. Huh. Uh, Tracy Robinson Wood is a professor of applied psychology at Northeastern University. She's the author of The Convergence of Race, Ethnicity, and Gender, Multiple Identities in Counseling, Race, uh, which is now in its fifth edition. Sister Resisters is designed to equip both mentors and mentees with thoughtfully designed culturally informed skills that can further educational, racial, and gender equality on campus. Easy peasy, right? <laughs> well, what, what is the unaddressed problem that Sister Resisters seeks to address? And please tell us about the genesis of Sister Resisters. Janie, did you want to take that question? I'm happy sure. to begin. Okay. Sure. Um, well, Tracy and I have been teaching um, for a very long time, uh, several decades, and we've also been involved in uh, educational and psychological research. And often, as two Black women uh, scholars on campus, 
we have found that uh, black students and other women of color often find their way to our offices. Sometimes they just want to come in and talk. Sometimes they want to um, ask our advice about things. And we found that there are times in which we have been both formal mentors as well as informal mentors. We have listened to students uh, articulate very clearly some of the issues that Black women face um, in campuses, especially at predominantly white institutions. Now, um, we also know that um, just like most students, Black students need mentors, mm -hmm. and they are often looking for adults on campus who will provide guidance and give them direction for how to navigate the institution and then ultimately to navigate their lives. Um, so Tracy and I have been thinking over the years about um, what is going on with mentoring and Black students? How can it be done better? And what is it that mentors need um, in order to be able to do the kind of cross-racial mentoring that is necessitated by the fact that there aren't as many Black faculty and staff available on predominantly white institutions. And therefore, white mentors are going to need to step in and take up this task efficiently. I, I do wonder about, uh, you know, I, I'm thinking, would I dare be a mentor? I don't know. There must be some specific qualities, uh, some way to measure when a person uh, is is you know feels he or she could be qualified to be a a mentor and what he or she may have to offer. Well, it's a great question, Bert. I, I think the challenge is is that mentors may not necessarily receive um, adequate training, right. um, especially when you consider that on the majority of our campuses, white mentors are are the ones mentoring um, in terms of their uh, roles as advisors. Uh, faculty, they're in career services, um, residential life, uh, financial aid, student development. Wow. And so there's often an assumption that this older person who has usually a graduate degree um, is in a position to provide adequate guidance. And we're saying when you're talking about um, the silence surrounding race mm. and oftentimes a lack of understanding about black college women's uh, lived experiences. We don't look at black women from a monolith. We certainly talk about the ethnic diversity, sexual diversity, um, gender diversity mm -hmm. uh, that exists among among black people. Um, but oftentimes there isn't the training to look at the history of race and racism in this country. What is the cultural knowledge that mentors have? How has segregation from uh, black women kept them from being able to feel competent in their knowledge as well as confident. Mm. Um, and so that lack of training doesn't help them to step up, if you will, to receive conversations from the black mentee about um, experiences that are not just necessarily related to microaggressions or racism, mm. but what happens when the black student might share an experience in, in a classroom where something has been said 
that really is reflective of stereotypes about black people and the faculty member, albeit well-meaning, doesn't have the tools to uh, interrupt it or to talk about how that understanding uh, is loaded with disinformation. And so we want white uh, mentors who are disproportionately white women to feel um, confident uh, and competent in their roles, not just with advising students about, you know, classes to take, um, but about that whole student. Um, and that's the purpose of our book. And and being well-meaning, I, I, one of the most Im- important things that I learned from a black friend of mine was that, uh, and it shocked the heck out of me at first, that racists don't know they're racist. And I was thinking, what? How can they not know they're racist? Well, I think, you know, it can be intentionally good what people are saying, but there are uh, stereotypes, as you say, that come into it. So that's it's got to be uh, an interesting challenge and opportunity. So, so well, I think it's ahead. lovely that you mentioned, Bert, excuse me for interrupting, that Please. you mentioned that you had a black friend, because I think, you know, I asked my students, you know, uh, think about the people you've invited to your home for dinner. Who's in your inner right. circle? Right. So oftentimes, if we're segregated interpersonally, there aren't these opportunities to enge- to have the trust um, and that foundation in relationships to talk openly and candidly and honestly about about race and racism and the ways in which each of us has been impacted mm. by racism in this country and, and albeit throughout the world. Yeah, for sure. And that, that silence, that uncomfortable silence, I guess, I'm guessing that's something that uh, mentoring can you know, perhaps address. So there's different, I suppose, from you know, more formal education, uh, a, the goal of mentoring. What is the unique goal of mentoring and what, is, what, is, what kind of gaps does it meet and hopefully fill? Well, one of the things that we have discovered over the years is that what students are looking for is a genuine relationship with um, an adult in their lives on these college campuses that will listen to them, Hmm. that will help them to, uh, that will listen to the problems that they might be um, dealing with on campus and will help them to figure out strategies to uh, solve those problems, right? Um, And give them the tools to use in the future when that adult is not present. Mm -hmm. Many of the problems that young women are dealing with, even though um, they're connected to one's academic life and one's pre-professional life, race and gender are often at the heart of some of the conflicts that they run into. And therefore, we, pr- we are arguing that this mentoring relationship has to allow for race talk. It has to allow for some of those uncomfortable conversations mm-hmm. about the ways that things really work versus the way that it's supposed to work. Right. Or the way that it has been described in the textbook um, or in the internship. Um, And because we live these siloed lives and because um, young black women know that there are a lot of older white women mentors who are 
uncomfortable with these conversations. Sometimes the students hold back. Sometimes the mentor herself is either waiting for the student to bring up uh, an instance of racism or sexism. Mm. And if it doesn't come up, well, then that means everything is fine. And that may not at all be the case. (laughs) So what we're trying to do is help white women to overcome that discomfort that they might have in broaching a conversation that may um, uh, bring about uh, all sorts of anxieties and worries and know that it's okay. Okay. Um, One of the ways that we believe that this happens is by helping white women to get in touch with their own histories of Mm. sexism and gender bias. Yeah, all those things we don't want to talk about, those uncomfortable things that are unfortunately quite, quite real that do hold us back. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here, the show is Keeping Democracy Alive. We're talking about uh, uh, mentoring and and looking at uncomfortable things, Uh, white women, black young women, and our guests today have uh, written a book, Sister Resisters, Mentoring Black Women on Campus, Janie Victoria Ward and Tracy L. Robinson Wood. I went to college in the early 70s. And as you reflect on your experiences as first-generation students navigating college during the 70s, what, what do you think has changed since that time and what hasn't changed? Well, it's a great question, Bert. I, I think that um, it, certainly you would be hard-pressed to find a college um, today that doesn't talk about uh, DEI or diversity, equity, uh, and inclusion. And so many uh-huh. schools have um, uh, chief officers uh, or program coordinators you know, in that role. Um, and it's not necessarily just about race. It can certainly be about um, gender fluidity, um, different um, sexual identities, um, mm. as well as ethnicity and uh, neurodivergence, different types of uh, ableism, different types of uh, identities that students are bringing, you know, to campus that really need to be looked at within the context of, is this a good place for these students to be? Not just to um, a good place to graduate from, but to what extent is this a campus climate that sends a message to parents who want their children to get a good education academically, but to also be well and to be nurtured. Um, and so DEI uh, tends to look at that. And yet we are asking ourselves to what extent um, are these DEI efforts uh, sustainable? How, what kind of traction uh, is, is there? Is it making a difference, not just for the BIPOC, the black indigenous people of color, but also to what extent is it um, making a difference in the lives of, of, of white students. At the same time, even with these DEI efforts, um, it's still um, likely that students of color will oftentimes talk about some of the uh, microaggressions, um, the distress, the incidences of, of racism or exclusion that they experience on campus, as well as the difficulty that some of the mentors and advisors have with respect to how do they they best um, approach these issues. And as Jamie said, you know, it is okay that you, uh, that mentors may not feel like they have the tools because the truth be told, racism has ill-prepared white women to uh, effectively mentor black women. And it's because our, these institutional forces 
have kept us from understanding one another in a real way. We oftentimes live uh, in different uh, neighborhoods. We oftentimes don't have these rich interpersonal relationships that are grounded in trust um, and, and open, honest, uh, rich relationships. Um, we oftentimes might be working side by side, but we don't necessarily come together um, uh, beyond maybe those those work relationships. That's not necessarily always the case. But, you know, we ask our mentors to think about uh, what kind of um, friendships and relationships do you have where you can acquire the skills and the practice to be able to feel like you can broach these difficult conversations with your with your mentee? Because it, we believe in a, a reciprocity, a model where your, the mentor is giving to the mentee, but the mentee is also bringing rich strengths to the table too. And it, it's possible for the mentor to learn from her. So with respect to your question, I think that um, there are some some real DEI efforts that are on campus mm-hmm. that are certainly inclusive of race, go beyond race as well. Um, and yet at the same time, that doesn't mean that institutions have uh, acquired the um, skills or have the commitment to really think about uh, what are we doing in the service of upending racism? Mm-hmm. Um, it's one thing to talk the talk, but are we walking the walk? How is our curriculum perpetuating uh, racist discourses? Who is in control or in whose voices matter? Who is in the faculty? Uh, who, which faces are in the administration? Where is the power located? These are difficult questions that universities can ask and need to be asking so that people can feel like this is a good place to be at and not just one where I'm trying to survive, right? Because that doesn't help people to do their best and bring their best talent and treasure to the table. No, of course, the the easiest thing, the comfort zone is just ignore it. Pretend it's not there and, you know, don't don't see it. But it's really important to to look at this uncomfortable stuff. Uh, And um, I I know that uh, we prefer not to do that and uh, to just uh, pretend that there is no systemic racism, but there certainly is, and we need to get that. And academies, colleges, support services, as you say, they're trying to do this, but I wonder, is there, they, they, they fall short oftentimes in responding to the needs of students of color in particular. Um, and how, mentoring comes in there and, uh, Certainly, there's the issue of money. Who pays the mentors? They can't volunteer all the time. But uh, how does what? How does this happen? Tell us about how academic support services may try, but oftentimes fall short, and and what mentoring uh, fills in. Well, you know, one of the things that happens on college campuses is that um, mentoring could occur in a a bunch of different ways. Sometimes it happens in these um, support staff positions that you are mentioning. And often in um, some of the support staff positions, especially the ones that um, interact with the counseling departments, there might actually be classes or workshops or discussions that are going on that address these issues of um, racism and sexism um, on campus, and people might feel fairly well prepared. But too often, 
The way that mentoring really works on college campuses is that there might be a program that is begun. Somebody got some grant money and a department says, we're going to have a mentoring program and we're going to assign faculty to students. Who's going to volunteer? And often the hands that go up, frankly, are women, <laughs> um, which is not to say that our brothers don't also volunteer, but overwhelmingly women step up to the plate. And if they are lucky, they will receive some training. But very often, even if they do receive some training in how to be a good mentor, the work of doing cross-racial mentoring is the, mm. the piece that's left out, mm. right? What is so special about these Black women that are sitting across from you? What do you need to know about these Black women? That's the part that very frequently um, our mentors um, just don't get mm -hmm. in these formal or informal trainings. Uh -huh. and, and, one, and what Tracy and I have, have um, figured out is that, you know, we think of uh, the college years as a time of adolescent and young adult um, uh, growth and development. It's that important period in the life cycle where students are doing that identity work. Who am I? Right. What do I want in life? Where do I fit in? But we, we fail to think about the development that the mentor may be going through. And one of the things about mm. cross-racial mentoring is that very often that white mentor, because she has opened herself up, because she is listening to this young woman talk about the world from her perspective, which might be quite different from a white woman's perspective, she finds that she may be growing. Her identity yes. may be expanding the kinds of questions and the kinds of perspectives that she's bringing might be quite different than what she had been used to. So we're really excited about the reciprocal nature of development within cross-racial mentoring relationships. Interesting. And I, as you describe it, I, you know, there's, there's some politics going on these days. I don't know if you've noticed, but the right wing is getting all fired up about colleges and they they want to really control uh, universities and colleges and go back to you know real rigid uh, just uh, I mean their whole shtick is is they want white men to rule to dominate and control and I wonder if there's been resistance here I mean I, I could just imagine them hearing what you're up to and thinking Oh, this is nonsense. This is left-wing indoctrination. Uh, have you run into well, any of that? Know, it's a great question. I, I think you're raising the question, Bert, of is there resistance to sister resistors? You know, and um, and and so the and the answer to that question, it's a great question. 
But the answer is yes. Um, and so being a sister resistor means that um, you are able to speak up and speak out about your detection and naming of racism. So this model, which which Janie um, documented in a book that she wrote um, 20 years ago of, you know, basically of reading uh, the racism and naming it, giving it a name and opposing it, pushing back and also, you know, re replacing. And so what does it mean for for the white mentor to be able to call out racism as she sees it on campus? Because that is what we um, this model is basically uh, calling for. And so you can. Um, your relationships can certainly be impacted by the the white mentor um, calling out injustice as she sees it. And it can be very difficult for her, um, but she's doing that oftentimes because she's seeking to be an effective mentor, ally, and advocate of, of the student, right? So we give lots of case vignettes in the book to talk about um, what, uh, certainly that calling out can look like. And yes, uh, one of the issues of resistance that, that white women have to certainly look at is this niceness regulation, the extent to which as women, irrespective of our race, we've been socialized to, you know, um, to be nice and to not create conflict. Um, and when you call out injustice, you are speaking clearly to issues that need um, attention brought to them. And so relationships can change. Uh, mm. And yet the world does open up too, because there might be some, some losses relationally or changes in those relationships. Uh, but there will also, we believe, be some um, important gains as, as well. So it is being awake to and aware of not just racism, but also patriarchy and misogyny and mm -hmm. classism and ableism and xenophobia and the different isms that send a message that certain bodies are not welcome here. Ah. And if we're going to be global citizens, and that's what the call and the challenge really is and the purpose of the university, it is a place where people come together and learn. And so if, if that's if we want to prepare our young people to go out in the world um, and be global citizens and to be able to have conversations um, with people from around the globe and within our borders, what is it that we want them, what kind of skills do we want them to have? Want them to certainly know their values and own their values, but also uh, what is the true value and benefit of being able to coexist with, with differences, to be able to identify our thoughts, see where they converge, see where they uh, where they don't, but also to be civil <laughs> and to face the differences and the difficulties and find a way forward. And, and that I think is one of um, the real treasures of a, a college university uh, experience. I'd say, yeah, it can be a great experience. And uh, to be able to be an adult, uh, maybe, you know, not the old fashioned necessarily uh, pigeonhole of, of what an adult is, but be able to function in the world. And one of the important things, I mean, I do tend to focus on politics just a little bit, but uh, listening, you know, one of the I, I was in a part of uh, of Pennsylvania where my uh, daughter was going to college uh, that real Trump country. And I could understand that people there 
I was thinking, why, do, why is this Trump country? I feel like they don't feel listened to. They don't feel respected. They've worked hard, and, and they're not getting ahead. And so they act out of uh, frustration. And I can imagine that, I mean, listening is just so important. Uh, and I talk about the, the importance of being able to listen in this mentoring relationship between uh, both women. Yeah, so um, you know, as, as scholars who um, focus on psychological processes, uh-huh. listening is absolutely central to healthy relationships, right? Yeah. Um, and therefore, uh, we want to create contexts in which both members of the um, relationship mm-hmm. feel like they can speak and listen and be heard. And one of the ways that you can increase that happening is by having um, a relationship in which both people feel like they're talking about something of substance, something that matters to um, hopefully to the both of them. So when we talk about sister resistors, and as Tracy was talking about um, mentors uh, having to think about their own histories of bias, right? Um, how of what was I told when I was growing up uh, about mm-hmm. um, should I speak up? You know, should I just be the listener? Right? What happens when I interject an opinion that runs counter to what other people are saying? And God forbid they push back. Should I shut up or should I stand my ground? Those are really profound questions that a lot of us, particularly women who have been socialized in um, a toxic environment that has said that women's voices are not so important. These are really, really important skills that young women are developing and often Older women are assessing within themselves. Okay, so I think that when you when you um, identify this issue of listening, right, mm-hmm. we think that that is at the core of a strong and healthy sister resistor relationship. Let me share with you what I know. Let me share with you the strategies that I've adopted, what has worked, what hasn't worked over time. Tell me about how you're navigating racism. What's working for you? What was a complete and utter disaster? And together, we'll put our heads together and figure out how to strategize in ways that are effective and efficient. And you have to be able to listen in order for that process um, to uh, get underway. Boy, that seems so obviously different from the so-called normal college and university experience where there's, you know, generally a man up there 
at a uh, lectern and everybody else is listening. <laughs> this is something different. It's it's a uh, more equal, dare I say. And it and definitely is. And you know, one of the things about mentoring, traditional mentoring, has assumed that there's the senior right? Mm -hmm, the mm -hmm. senior person who knows everything. And then there's the junior who is just sort of sitting there as a, um, a, a, a blank page waiting for um, information and knowledge to be um, written on, um, on the page. Right. And we're arguing that when it comes to race in particular, sometimes young black women know some stuff about race that their white mentors just do not. Because as a black person navigating racism in America, you have had to pay attention to some systems, some interpersonal interactions um, that white people have not had to pay any attention to. Right. So we are shifting the balance of power. Wow. in a sister-resister mentoring relationship. Sometimes it's that young Black woman who's the one you need to listen to because she knows something that you don't know. You invite white mentors to think of themselves not simply as members of a racial group, but intersectionally. Intersectionally. What do you mean? And why, why might that matter? What is inter intersectional about it? Well, it's a great question, Bert. So intersectionality, um, we, we certainly have been um, benefited by uh, Kimberly Crenshaw's work with respect to looking at, um, within the context, for example, of Black women, uh, not just looking at a person who is Black or a person who is a woman, but a person who is both and a Black woman, yes. as well yes. as other identities that are visible and invisible. Because we have um, identities that oftentimes can be read by people in terms of one's skin color or um, notions of what it means to look like a man or, or a woman right. um, or of a particular age, right? But people have other identities that can be extraordinarily salient to them, like, you know, their, their religion or the languages that they speak um, or, you know, values that they have and that they hold. So intersectionality certainly honors the multiple identities that people have in their lives. And so sometimes we might um, assume that because a person is a particular skin color hue, that that means that they identify in a particular way or that that particular identity has great salience. But it could be um, an invisible identity uh, that has much more salience. And so it, the, the mentor brings her multiple identities oh, to yes. the table as well. So you might have a, a woman who is white, uh, but she identifies as a member of the LGBTIQ mm -hmm. community. And so that experience of living within the context of um, gender and sexual oppression can have some real um, meaning for her and help her to perhaps think um, about what it means to navigate the difficult terrain of, of isms. may not be racism, but it can certainly be um, uh, homophobia yeah. um, or heterosexism, right? Mm -hmm. And so just having uh, women think about um, their position, if you will, next to power and where in their lives 
have they been privileged and advantaged as well as as disadvantaged? Because we want people to think about the relationship from um, a space of empathy and caring. Um, And we do not believe that you have to look like your mentee to be an effective mentor. Uh, It's similar like in the context of clinical work. Do you have to look exactly like your patient in order to provide effective care? Now, that's not to say that sometimes patients, uh, they may want a a particular therapist who who looks like them. But um, we do believe that we can bring our best from a a model of intersectionality, but also humanity to bear for the, the, the help and the work that is needed to uh, for the mentee, for the mentee's development, and ultimately for the mentor's development. So intersectionality um, really goes against this notion that we can know, we think that we know what people want, what they value, um, what they adhere to based on um, these limited notions of uh, gender and race uh, and class and um, other other identities that can be so misread and full of disinformation. Liberation, boy, that's a big thing. It's, you know, personally liberating. It's, it's something we've been, we, the culture, uh, has been working on oh, for a long time. And uh, we're not there yet, but perhaps mentoring is uh, something that can be uh, uniquely helpful in doing that. For those who may have just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Uh, Our guests today are Janie Victoria Ward and Tracy Robinson Wood. And they have a new book, Sister Resistors, Mentoring Black Women on Campus. And, uh, you know, because we are, I mean, we're white, we're black, we're gay, we're straight, we're a whole bunch of things, and and to you know to keep ourselves limited to those uh, narrow definitions, we're more than that. Yes, we are that, but we're also uh, beyond that. And I wonder about you know in colleges, I hate standardized tests, I really do, but they still are used. Unlike standardized tests, mentoring and success or failure is not so easily measured or quantified, I would guess. Too often you contend we operate under an idealized, unrealistic notion of mentoring where needs are met, conflict and discomfort are minimal, and the work of mentoring is relevant and productive, A+. (laughs) But such relationships, you argue, are likely missing essential work. I wonder if you could explain that. Yeah. So, uh, again, if you go back to that traditional understanding of mentoring if the junior is just sort of sitting there lapping up every word of wisdom (laughs) that falls from the mouth of the uh, senior then you know there's never any reason to push back there's never any reason to critique um or ask any deep um uh, go into any kind of deep interrogation when it comes to the real world (laughs) you know It doesn't work that way. There are many more questions out there than there are answers. And while we have our students on college campuses, I would hope that we want to create an environment in which young people will ask all the questions that they have and seek to find answers to those questions. While they are with us, we are hopefully helping them to develop critical thinking skills, Mm -hmm. 
um, decision-making skills. We hope that we're asking them to um, ask hard questions. Don't just um, accept everything is truth, right? We're asking them to uh, do media critique. All of those kinds of, of, um, of cognitive and intellectual inquiry, that's what college is all about. Now, we also mm -hmm. want to bring that to the social world, right? What's going on all around you? What's happening on campus? What's happening in the dormitories? What's happening in your internship? You know, as you think about your career, how do you imagine yourself um, as a black woman in medical school? as a black woman in physical therapy or going into some career that it may be months before you see another black person who looks like you, mm. right? Those conversations, right, are very different kinds of conversations than what traditionally goes on in the classroom and even with one-on-one -on -one with a professor. They, they tend not to happen. Students themselves are often having these conversations. And one of the things that we have um, learned is that a real strength that women of African descent bring to a college setting is that they find each other. Yeah. Right? Black women will find other black women to have these deep, important conversations with. And that's often what gets them through college, right? We just went through um, the Supreme Court confirmation hearing with um, Judge Brown, Jackson yes. Brown. And mm -hmm. remember how she talked about being at Harvard and having that group of black women that uh, became her friends in freshman year and continue to this day to be her rock. They provide support to her. They're the people that she go that she goes back to for counsel and advice. Well, they are her sister resistors, right? We can create a greater cadre of sister resistors. Tracy and I know that white women can do this work. Uh -huh. We have white women in our own personal lives and professional lives who have stepped up to the plate and who have said, I understand that your life is going to be quite different because of the skin we're in. And I'm going to use some of the experiences that I've had as a woman trying to navigate sexism and all of the stuff we got to navigate as women. And I'm going to bring that into the relationship. And together, we're going to figure out how to move forward, how to resist the isms, how to fight the good fight, how to live a life that is honorable, worthy, and self-affirming. That's what we want for college students. That's what we want for the white mentors who are working with them. Go ahead. And Bert, I would just say that it's helpful for the white mentor to know that she has these tools in her toolkit. 
so that she can step forward yeah. with confidence mm-hmm. to be able to do this work because it is unnerving yeah. to um, go into that mentoring role and to have all of this fear and apprehension and this sense of I'm not prepared. I don't know what to do. I don't know who to ask. I don't want to sound racist by asking this mm-hmm. question mm-hmm. Um, or to have a situation where your mentee is explaining something that just happened to them in their class and they're distressed by it and you feel great compassion, but you also know, I don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. And there's that sense of powerlessness uh, that can envelop the the mentor and, and ultimately it doesn't help the mentee. And so what would it mean to honor that you don't know and to say that these are some tools and some skills that can help you to bridge that gap. And in the process, your life will also benefit with this greater knowledge. Uh, because the other side of the mentor not being aware and having appropriate tools is that that mentee can also be given the impression that it is not a safe place to talk about race here with this mentor. And it means that that student then has to expend all of this energy to engage in silencing or to basically censor the self. And so where is that student going to benefit from the wise mind counsel of a mentor who can say, you know, I think that what you just said to me sounds like discrimination and it sounds like racial discrimination. What do you think? Or it sounds like a microaggression or this is who we might be able to talk to or this is what we might be able to do, which is different from uh, just keep your head down. Or are you sure that it really happened that Mm -hmm. way? Or maybe if you did this to yourself, to your hair, to your name, change you Mm. in order to fit within an environment that alleges some level of inclusion and equity, but clearly is far from that, then that is not the kind of uh, message that I think we want to send our students. And it certainly doesn't respect, you know, a DEI position. So we, we believe uh, and we've certainly seen, as Janie says, we, we've had we have white women in our lives and not just for a few years, but over the decades. So we're extraordinarily optimistic um, about how this work is, is certainly doable. Not easy, right, uh, right, but right. but women know how to do <laughs> hard things. And so <laughs> we, we are very uh, uh, optimistic about it. Well, that, that's good to hear. We like to hear optimism. There's not enough of it these days. If you just tuned in, Bert Cohen here. The show is Keeping Democracy Alive. Our guests today are uh, Janie Victoria Ward and Tracy L. Robinson Wood, who have a new book, uh, Sister Resisters, Mentoring Black Women on Campus. And I can imagine, you know, the, the notion of white women they're they're not uh, they're not as re- as knowledgeable about black women's experiences, uh, but black women are expected to be knowledgeable about white women's experiences and breaking that down. And you know, I would I would think there'd be fear. You know, me as a white woman going in and mentoring a black woman. Ah, what do I know? How how does are there uh, steps that you know, it, that it, uh, make it so that the mentoring uh, model is uh, able to, to meet these challenges? Well, one thing we certainly talk about is the importance of uh, facing 
um, the situation certainly of, of racism in this country. Um, and, you know, James Baldwin said, not everything that is faced can be changed, but nothing can be changed if it is not faced, right? So we do believe that certainly the long arc of, of white supremacy has fostered these power imbalances, uh, but it's also um, stoked racial silence. And uh, so we, we have to lift that veil and, and name that which is difficult to, to talk about. But we can hold and honor the fact that something's difficult, but still move forward. Right. It doesn't have to stop us in our in our tracks. Um, And so we want there to be this soulful interrogation of of one's proximity to racism. You know, I believe that Mm. the reign of racism has fallen on all the houses in the land, all of our houses. And so one of the things we ask is, uh, what does that mean for me? Is is that just uh, prosaic or is there is there something here that is true? How what does it mean that racism has fallen on my house? What have I been taught? about people who look like me and people who don't look like me. Wow. And um, and what losses have have I suffered from with respect to r- racism? And so I think that these kinds of conversations uh, are so healing because it means that we're not sleepwalking through <laughs> our lives. Wow. And it, I, I think it does, if I hear it right, call for a sort of a, a thorough inventory of ourselves and where we are and not hiding from anything and that's that's hard to do but my goodness it needs to be done I, as i understand your mentoring model is built around four basic steps i wonder if you could tell us about those please initially these steps emerged from a study that i did many years ago in which i was talking to Uh, parents of African-American teenagers and young adults about what kinds of messages do you give to your children to prepare them for uh, the racial world? And um, the model comes down to four parts. Um, The first is read it. The second is name it. The third is oppose it. And the fourth is what I call replacing it or replenishing it. And very quickly, what I mean is that um, many Black students learn the importance of being able to read their environment, by Uh, which I mean mm -hmm. be able to observe and listen closely and pick up on patterns of discrimination, right? What's going on here, right? The second is naming it. And Mm -hmm. that is about um, determining if something is or is not racist or sexist, or maybe there might be some other ism going on. But it speaks to having discernment skills because not everything is racist, right? But if it is racist, then that calls for a certain kind of response. And you need to be really smart about assessing a situation, figuring out what's going on, doing that kind of interrogation and social analysis and critical consciousness, all of those wonderful skills that we teach to our students at the college level, that you bring all of that stuff in to determine if it's about if it's racist or sexist 
Now, the third step, of course, is if you determine that there is some bias and discrimination going on, chances are you're going to want to push back, right? right? Wherever there is oppression, there is resistance. Yes. That is something that Black folks have been engaged in since the moment we step foot on <laughs> uh, this land. So opposing it is standing up, fighting back, speaking up, asserting um, your moral authority. Sometimes resistance is external. You know, students might get together. They might have a petition. They might have a meeting with the dean to talk about something that's going on on campus. But sometimes opposing is internal, mm. right? Mm -hmm. It's changing something that you're doing or it's changing a way that you're thinking about a situation. Both of those strategies, there are, there are moments in which um, there, there's a need for an internal strategy, and then yes. there are other moments in which there are needs for external strategies. But you need to have a toolkit. Yes. And we're hoping that in these college years, um, students are building that that toolkit so that they have a full repertoire of strategies that they can turn to in the uh, event that something comes up um, that is either racist or sexist or intersects with those other isms. The very last stage sure. is about replenishing it oh. because, you know, this is hard work. Sister resistors ain't easy, right? And always, being aware of your environment, reading situations, thinking about bias, thinking about how to navigate it, that can be depleting. Yeah. And it's really important to be able to um, build oneself up so that you can fight again. Some of us build ourselves up with um, racial identity and racial pride engaging in um, activities that enhance those things. Right. Some of us build um, up the reserve with spirituality mm -hmm. or self-care. Whatever it is that you're going um, to do, you've got to understand, as Angela Davis has said, we've got to change the things that we will no longer accept. And that takes work. And you've got to replenish the spirit to go back out there and uh, do, keep doing the work. Yeah, it ain't easy, but but nothing come you know really worth having comes without some sort of a struggle, and it and it goes on and on. I wonder if this approach might be useful in other contexts, such as high schools, or is it perhaps too young for that? Well, we well, think we, it certainly has relevance. Sorry, Jamie. absolutely. Uh, we we yeah. think it certainly has relevance for high school students um, because um, the issues that students are facing often on campus are the same issues yeah. that the the faculty and the um, staff are facing. Right? We we don't live those uh, segregated lives, if you will, and so a lot of these issues are developmental in terms of taking place across time uh, and impacting people across age groups. So yes, we think that high school students who certainly are dealing with so many issues yeah. um, now, uh, certainly racism being one of them, um, but dealing with issues of vulnerability and, and safety um, and, you know, thinking about 
these next steps and, you know, what am I going to do? And, and, and who is in that inner circle to help me? You know, Janie was just talking about replenishing. It is important for the sister resistor to know where she can, in fact, get replenished and where she can't, mm-hmm. right? Because not everybody is going to celebrate uh, a woman who is calling out uh, discriminatory uh, treatment. You know, she will get, she will encounter pushback, which can be very hard for the woman who's been taught to not make people upset and to um, be the one who keeps uh, everything emotionally um, regulated, even if she is the one suffering uh, as a result. And so, yes, we think that this can certainly be relevant for for high school students. We think it can certainly be relevant for for uh, for people who identify as male, you know, um, brother resistors, if uh-huh. you will. And uh-huh. so um, as well as, um, you know, resistors f- for women who are certainly black, but also for Latina women and uh, sure. women who are Asian and, and women who um, are uh, Arab and, and, and different ethnic and racial identities, because people certainly um, have their own um, struggles and, and challenges and, and unique cultural um, histories that uh, would make for similar writing. But certainly we want to honor differences that are that are there and need to be spoken of um, as well. I think ultimately Good. we believe that um, one's knowledge of resistance is a strength. And it's a strength that we don't pay enough attention to. Everybody has had an experience in their life when they've had to push back against something that they thought was unfair. Yes. Use that knowledge, share that knowledge, build on that knowledge, right? Because that may open up paths um, that, that you had just never even imagined were there. I can imagine this is very rewarding. It's, you know, no teacher does it for the money that I know of, uh, but there's other kinds of rewards here. And I can imagine this relationship benefits and promotes the growth of everybody who's involved in it. Fascinating new angle to uh, address some of the separations in our uh, society now, the isolation and uh, limitations that we have, and categorization, and so many other things. The book is Mm. Sister Resisters, Mentoring Black Women on Campus. Our guests have been its authors, Janie Victoria Ward and Tracy Robinson Wood. Thank you so much today, and uh, some real optimism for uh, addressing what hasn't been addressed. Thanks. Thank you. You've been wonderful. Thank you so much for having us today. Well, thank you. All the sisters of mercy, they are not departed or gone. They were waiting for me when I thought that I just can't go on. And they brought me their comfort and later they brought me this song. so long Yes, you who must leave everything that you cannot
not control. 